Meltface Productions. This is Listening Glass. Robin. Yeah. Do you think the world is going to end in your lifetime? First swipe at that one, no. <laughs> okay, okay. I think we need some definition there. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, how about this? Do you think that humanity will face extinction or, or be almost entirely wiped out in your mm. lifetime? Um, no, I don't. But okay. extinction's a big event. Yeah. You know, there's people all over the planet. We've got a couple out in space. You know? That's true. I didn't think about the space ones. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's another wrinkle to this. <laughs> I mean, they kind of rely on the people on the planet. but I suppose. Um, it's not something that I stay up at night thinking about a whole lot, no. to be honest. Yeah. No. I, don't, I don't see that as highly likely. Uh, even worst case scenarios, I've kind of thought through. It's like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of survivors. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, shit could hit the fan for sure. Mm-hmm. Definitely. No doubt about that. I just don't think it would wipe everyone out yeah yeah it would suck how about like some event in which there's like a almost like a drastic shift in reality where like kind of like we're talking about with the singularity right where all of a sudden we realized that things were not necessarily as we thought they were Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And in the process of that, a small group of chosen people rises to the top and the rest of them die horribly. Do you, do you think that's at all likely to happen in your okay, lifetime? Okay, let's say that the singularity happens and AI takes over, mm-hmm. nukes most people, and then also the rapture happen, happens. Simultaneously. There's, even all of those things, there's going to be people left over. <laughs> yeah. And not, not just the chosen people? Well, the chosen people are taken to heaven. And so then they're, they're out of the picture. I think so. And yeah. as I understand Revelations, which I'm no scholar on that, but yeah. I'm pretty sure there's like other people who aren't chosen are just kind of like left behind. Um, and then I don't, it, it kind of probably sucks after the rapture. And so. Because all the nice people left. Yeah. And yeah. And then there you're you go. just left with a bunch of yes. shitty people. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think most of my friends would be left. So I think I'd be all right with that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So today. We are talking about apocalypse, the concept of apocalypse and apocalyptic thinking. This has been around for, you know, a while. And so the focus of this show is that we're just going to talk about the origins of apocalyptic thinking and cover some of the um, aspects of it from the beginning through the present era. And there's actually a a surprising amount of apocalyptic thinking in the current era. So we're going to focus on that Mm. as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Before we just dive into the discussion, I want to highlight that I think it's surprisingly prevalent in just everyday life Hmm. in the current era that there are people thinking, contemplating, if not the end of humanity, then some drastic world-changing events that will kill a lot of people and change the order of I things. I agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a really, it's it's really endemic to our times, mm-hmm. and I just think that's interesting. I wonder if it's always been that way, though. Right. Yeah. I I do like, I do feel like there's definitely a a set of the population who thinks that things are going to, she's going to hit the fan anytime soon, sometime mm-hmm. soon. And 
the world will be dramatically different. Maybe mm-hmm. not extinction, but that the world will be very different. We'll have to adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that has that kind of thinking has been around forever. Is my guess. You think so? I think so. Since yeah. the beginning of humanity, I kind of remember this. I think it, Jim Morrison. There's like one of the Doors albums I used to listen to a lot. Mm-hmm. I think it was a live one of the few live songs that was on the CD. But he says something along the lines of oh god i'm gonna totally botch this but basically being afraid uh i'm gonna conflate this with bob dylan now because bob dylan talks about like the greatest fear that can ever be hurled is the fear of bringing children into the world because he saw like during the vietnam war as it being a really dark time um this was in his song masters of war and that it was just like why bring people into the world when it's like a dying place right mm-hmm. and unjust place mm-hmm. and jim morrison talked about that too i can't remember how he put it but basically like me in, in art you know we see this kind of these kinds of references but mm-hmm. yeah i mean even fast forward to today we have like uh modest mouse right talking mm. about the end of the world mm. got rems end of the world as we know it yeah as right? we know it yeah yeah <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, it's it really is. It's in it's in the minds of everyone. I think you could even argue that these fixations on um, some of these kind of gothic fantasies in the modern era mm-hmm. are, are a form of apocalyptic thinking. Like, for example, zombie films. Oh right? God, yeah. I think that was a big uptick. Right. Definitely. For I I guess it was fifteen. I don't know when it started, but it felt there was a big trend in zombie shows and films probably yeah. 15 years ago yeah, up to maybe five years ago. And I, maybe The Walking Dead is still running. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But it was a, around that time, I think a lot of people just kind of like it became very easy for them to imagine apocalyptic times because of how much of it was in the media. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I, I think that's that's just an interesting thing to think about. How some of these mythological, I would argue, mythological, supernatural creatures mm-hmm. come and and inhabit the popular imagination depending on the current circumstances of the time. Right. right? What's funny about the zombie one is it didn't only influence popular opinion, but the World Health Organization also came out <laughs> with a protocol for if a zombie like virus really came out like what would be what would be the way to handle it wow during this was a few years ago that they came out with that right um, and so <laughs> which if you think about it i mean there are actually existing zombie like afflictions like rabies, rabies for example yep is basically a zombie i don't is it a virus or is it a bacteria um I don't i'm know. not sure but anyway yeah. it is it is an affliction which basically turns you into a zombie yeah yeah. So yeah, it's it's not actually so unreasonable. I think probably the way that it's depicted in a lot of films is kind of not quite how it would play out. Mm-hmm. But but um, but that's no fun. But. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, people just getting bitten by wild animals and then mm-hmm. you know. Anyway, so yeah, so it's it's been in the mind, arguably perhaps forever, mm-hmm. but. It's certainly the the kind of modern flavor of it that we have in a lot of our culture traces back to the Jewish diaspora. Mm. So why don't we cover Wait, the what history? What is a diaspora? 
Sorry? What's a diaspora? Oh, okay. Diaspora is basically like a mass exodus of people hmm. from one place to another. Mm-hmm. And I think that's some implication of like spreading out too. Mm, like okay. I think a diaspora isn't just like this group of people went to this other place. I think it's like they spread to the okay to different corners of the earth, mm-hmm. right? So let's talk about this. The basically the foundation of modern the modern Christian and Jewish religious faiths traces back to around this time of the the Babylonian invasion of Jerusalem, right? And this happened around 600 BCE. Okay. The short version of the story, there's, there's probably been more scholarship around this period of history from different angles than almost any other period of history, wow. right? It's just such a, it's been studied by historians, it's been studied by, you know, biblical scholars and, mm-hmm. you know, you name it, mm-hmm. right? Someone has has studied it from a certain angle. And that particular area of the world or just all areas? Uh, um, th- yeah, that, for some reason, I don't know what it is. Yeah. But, but I feel like this particular conflict among this particular group of people at this particular time yeah. had just, has just gone viral. Okay. It's like people are fixated on it mm-hmm. because people have been invading each other forever, right? People have been um, chased out or exiled from their homelands forever. Mm-hmm. There's, just, there's probably been no year in human history when that hasn't been happening to someone somewhere. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, this particular conflict has just, it has stayed alive in the minds and the imaginations of so many people. Hmm. And even people who may have very little... A cultural stake in it. Exactly. Like, yeah. Maybe no ancestral connection right. to the events, really. Mm-hmm. But basically what happened was that the, the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. I love it. Yeah, great name, great name. And he invaded, and at the time, um, King, and I'm I'm not going to pronounce his name properly, but it was something like Kim Jehoiakim was the the ruling king of Jerusalem at the time, right? Never can what? <laughs> Never can what? <laughs> and um, he, so yeah, so King King Jehoiakim. Mm-hmm was was that and and basically king nebuchadnezzar was like submit to me like i rule this place now and king jehoiakim eventually was just like nah i'm not really feeling that Mm -hmm. i'm not into it Mm -hmm. so king nebuchadnezzar basically invaded again Mm -hmm. and killed king jehoiakim and then chased the following king and did these two have like certain affiliations or like are they are they both jewish or are they no neither so so it's just kings doing king stuff well so the the people of jerusalem uh, are like what we would now consider to be the modern jews okay right and this is all in jerusalem or in israel what is now called israel yeah yeah so basically the babylonians drove the jews out of Jerusalem. Okay. And this instigated what is known as the Jewish diaspora. Okay. It basically started this millennia long, what I would call quest of the Jewish people 
to reclaim that holy land mm-hmm. of Jerusalem. Two millennia long quest. Yeah, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 2.6. 2.6. 2.7 now, I guess, millennia well, long. I, I guess it was reclaimed. Yeah. It was reclaimed. So, yep. yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Now, and I want to be clear in this that it's not like every Jew that ever lived was uh, hellbent on getting back into Jerusalem, but it was just that there was this kind of movement in the minds of a lot of Jewish people who had been evacuated from Jerusalem of this is our holy land and we want to get back there. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's again, like I said, that's a deep, deep discussion that, that has had many facets over the last thousands of years. But what was happening around that time was that the people of Jerusalem who had been driven out had this feeling of like, why why did this happen what is it about us that made us deserve this to happen to us right Mm. and they were just basically like a a rather persecuted bunch Mm -hmm. for for a long time a lot of bad things happened there were uh locust swarms that came and ate all the food and famines and um Mm -hmm. And, you know, various, yeah, wars, invasions. Yeah, this I think we sang songs about all of these things at Bible camp. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> and there was just like this deep sense of, like, we are God's chosen people. Mm-hmm. Why is this happening to us? Mm-hmm. There's this kind of sense of, like, where is our God? Mm-hmm. And, and why is he not taking care of us? And... So, what you started to see was that there were a series of people who were variously considered to be some of them prophets, some of them not prophets. It's it's actually kind of hard to distinguish between, and I think many religions split over the idea of what constitutes a prophet. Mm-hmm. But suffice it to say that there were plenty of people who were having these visions or revelations or saying that some angel or divine force came to them and said, yo, this thing's going to happen. And what you started to see was that there were a bunch of people who were having these visions about an end game. And the end game was just various permutations on the idea that at some point in the future god would return to the people or maybe uh, god's child or, or, or a dead prophet would return to the people and there would be this kind of moment of supreme justice in which the people of jerusalem would be restored to their holy land mm-hmm and that various other wrongdoers, sinners, enemies, evil people would be punished. Mm-hmm. And so there was going to be this divine event. And so this is the the receiving of a transmission like this to a person. It was a revelation. Hmm. And that revelation in the Greek language was called apocalypse. Hmm. So an apocalypse is originally a vision that somebody had about, and and it, and it, yeah, often related to a date in the future when there would be a drastic power shift, hmm. usually in favor. Really? Yeah, of 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 the person you know of the people belonging to the person who received that transmission. Huh. So 
So apocalypse sounds like a good thing. Well, depending on how you look at it, right? Because it sounds like we are the downtrodden, uh, persecuted, and the revelation is that there will be a power shift in our favor and it will be end times for tribe B, you know? That's, that's kind of an interesting thought about it. And it depends upon the revelation hmm. as to how rosy the outcome is going to be. Mm-hmm. Now... For me, anyway, I can't get into this conversation without considering the ramifications of how you reconcile day-to-day human psychology with spirituality, Mm -hmm. right? There was this ongoing question, basically, of if we're the chosen people, why are we so persecuted? Mm -hmm. If we're, you know, God-abiding, God-fearing people, if we're worshiping the right God, why does our life suck, Yeah, right? And this is uh, this is like an ongoing problem. It's a, it's a problem of a lot of, of uh, religious beliefs. And I mean, any religious belief that's focused around a chosen people is going to run into this, mm-hmm. right? And so I think there's a lot of, of modern psychological exposition to the effect that people needed some kind of an explanation of how it was all going to turn out right in the end, mm-hmm. right? But people also uh, needed a way of keeping power structures going, a way of keeping belief in the faith going, right? And in order to do that, you have to dangle some kind of a carrot. And so one of these major carrots that has been dangled in in these um, Judeo-Christian faiths is the idea that if you're a good follower— And if you're a virtuous person, then you will be chosen when the time of choosing comes. Mm. And that and and in some beliefs, it was even after you're dead, you'll maybe you'll be resurrected Mm -hmm. and then you'll get to, you know, be in the nice place. Right. Mm. So so it's kind of interesting how the idea became not just that the chosen people will be restored to their place, but it was the idea of you have to be good. You have to be a good follower in order to earn this, right? And that was a very expedient tool for doing a couple of things, for keeping people, you know, going about their daily grind during really hard times, and also for keeping people loyal to your religion, trying to get them to exhibit the kinds of behaviors that you wanted them to exhibit yeah so anyway there's this that's kind of a more modern psychological interpretation on this school of thought Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. is that it was filling in some of these necessary gaps in a belief that would otherwise be pretty hard to keep up One of the earliest examples of apocalyptic literature was there was this guy called Joel, and there was the book of Joel. And this was very shortly after the invasion by the Babylonians. Okay. And Joel had a vision in his dreams. I just had one of those last night. Oh, really? (laughs) Awesome. Did it portend the end of the world? Uh, There was a, like, tsunami flood. Okay. Yeah. Which yeah, is, that's yeah. Uh, that's an apocalyptic yeah. event, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. 
did it take out unjust people? Um, no. No. There were dead people, though. Okay. Yeah. It was weird. It sounds weird. <laughs> I don't even know where I was. It wasn't Eugene. But, um... Probably wouldn't be with a tsunami, right? No. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, it's just funny timing. Uh-huh. Okay, so, so in the book of Joel, Joel was lamenting a recent locust famine that had come through. And he was exhorting his people to be penitent to God in the hopes that God would prevent future such famines from happening. Mm-hmm. And there's this kind of what I noticed about a lot of this early apocalyptic stuff is that there was this kind of feeling of, of wretchedness and hmm. powerlessness okay. and put upon-ness and why us-ness going on. And there's this kind of interesting bipolarity to it. So it's like, on the one hand, we're so put upon and we're so wretched and our lives are so bad. And then on the other hand, it's, we're the chosen people. We're the best. We're God's favorite. Right. We will win in the end, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's this very kind of interesting dichotomy, which I think it simultaneously erodes and enforces people's sense of ego hmm. and I, I just think that it's a very interesting little psychological mix hmm. right now a little bit later on we had the book of zechariah which is another example of early apocalyptic thinking well hold on though i think that both of those narratives actually reinforce ego that okay like, we are being persecuted or like we are being maybe I don't know. I guess you didn't say punished by a god, mm-hmm. but I guess maybe it does. Maybe it does de-emphasize ego if they feel like they're out of favor with the god, or that god doesn't care enough about them, or maybe that their god isn't the strongest god. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, I think that you're right. I think that it highlights a particular interesting aspect of of uh, ego and self esteem. Right? Yeah. Is that? Um, there are, there are healthy and unhealthy ways to, to reinforce an ego or self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And I do think that viewed through a certain lens, you could argue that both of those sides of it are unhealthy reinforcements right. of ego. Yeah. Right? It's like something bad happens and you're like, why me? Right. You kind of take it personally. Yeah. Even though, you know, why? Why would you? You know, it's usually very like indifferent. Just a famine or just yeah. the sweep of history, right? Yep, yep. So mm-hmm. exactly. So you're saying... Why did this happen to me? I don't deserve this shit, right? Mm-hmm. And then, on the other hand, you have this, like, but I'm actually great, mm-hmm. right? Which yep. is also not necessarily true, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> depending on your belief. Right. So, I agree. I think, I think again, in, in my modern psychological analysis of this, um, I think that it does lead to some relatively unhealthy fixations mm-hmm. on the self. Yeah. Which is is really fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, Um, mean, people like it. Yeah. I mean, what else are you going to do with your time? That's true. Mm -hmm. Watch TV, feel wretched. (laughs) Watch TV, feel like I'm going to be rewarded. God loves me. God hates me. It's, you know, dynamic relationship. It it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is. Healthy. It's a healthy relationship. (laughs) Keep you on your toes. Yep. So, yeah, so let's talk about the book of Zechariah. Now, Zechariah was someone who took us a little bit closer to this idea that there was actually going to be a latter day. Hmm. So, if you've ever heard of that term before, latter day, there's like various churches 
So, like the Mormon Church is yeah. the Church of Latter Day Saints, right? right? It's an example of a Latter Day organization. It's a cool name for a church. It is a cool name. Yeah, yeah, it's true. As far as church names go, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, pick it up, other churches. Like <laughs> Mormons got you beat on this one. So the the concept of the Latter Day is the final conflict and triumph of God's kingdom. And um, so, so this was an idea that was kind of developing over time, hmm. was that there was going to be this eventual event. It, it wasn't just like it popped into the mind. It was like it accumulated over time, this notion yeah. that there was going to be a final day of reckoning. A final day. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And is this like, is it a final day where like our new king and their king are going to like have a reckoning or is it like God, God's going to come down and like convey judgment? Definitely God. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be divine judgment. Yep. Yeah. And the, the, yeah, and the meek shall inherit the earth, right? Mm-hmm. So, so this, this idea was growing again. This, and this was, um, I believe the book of Zechariah was like closer to 500 BC. Mm-hmm. So, you know, same century later on. And then the book of Daniel, now this came a couple hundred years later, the second century. BCE. Mm-hmm. And Daniel just like really took apocalypse to the next level. So mm-hmm. D- Daniel was just really codifying a lot of these ideas. As side note, the word eschatology hmm. is applies to this thought. Okay. Eschatology is basically like the study of uh, uh the the idea of that being like an end of days. Oh. Yeah. I actually stumbled across that word. I didn't bother to look into it, but yeah. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, Eschatology. it's 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 a cool word. Yeah, I'll put that on my Tinder profile. Exactly. I'm in the Eugene School of Eschatology. <laughs> es- my eschatological prowess <laughs> is high. Eugene could have a school of eschatology. It could, actually. It could. It should be like one of your RPG traits that you can grow, you know, like plus two eschatology. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, the book of Daniel was a portrayal of end times, which is both uh, cosmic in scope and political in focus, right? So it's interesting how these revelations were, they were not only spiritual, but they were often positioned in a way that was uh politically advantageous for or, or focusing on current political concerns of the people of that time mm-hmm. right so there was a there was a, a level of propaganda going on here mm-hmm. basically and here's here's a choice quote from the book of daniel near the end he says many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life everlasting life and some to everlasting shame and contempt. Wow. So this is really crystallizing the idea, mm-hmm. basically. So Daniel was, he was often quoted moving forward by, you know, Jews and Christians moving into the current era were often reference, referencing Daniel's source material when they were talking about their own apocalyptic stuff, mm-hmm. right? Since then, it's interesting how you'll have these periods of history where something will there will be some kind of crisis whether it's like an ecological crisis a political crisis a war something like that will come up and you'll start to see these strains of apocalyptic thought 
get expressed again. People kind of take up the torch and they, they get caught up with this idea that we're living in the end of days. We've seen this throughout history. I mean, it's like you can almost just pick a century and there's a, a salient example of some group of people raising the apocalyptic call. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we can see like... Um, you know, there's a group of people called the Montanists of the second and the third century. They were millennialists. This is another term that you'll encounter in this study. Millennialism mm. basically refers to people who who have apocalyptic beliefs of one kind or another. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that, let's just stop right there because that's an interesting... It's interesting to think of the concept of being a millennial as being someone who believes in the end of time. Okay. Huh. No. I've never thought of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's an association that existed long before our current association with really? millennialism, which is just like, you know, young people born around 2000, right? Okay. In a lot of literature, millennialism refers specifically to people who have apocalyptic beliefs. Anyway, there are just like a, a lot of examples of this. There was a 16th century Reformation movement called the, and I'm, again, I'm not going to pronounce this properly, but the, the Zwickau prophets. There was the Munster Rebellion during the English Civil War. The Fifth Monarchy Men took their name and political program from Daniel, right? Mm. They demanded Oliver Cromwell allow them to form a government of saints in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. Wow. And when Cromwell refused, they identified him instead as the beast usurping the rightful place of King Jesus. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, who hasn't been accused of that? Uh, exactly. And of course, you know, let's not forget that Jesus himself, a lot of people think that Jesus's strongest legacy was this idea of being like, I'm coming back. Hmm. You know, I will return. It'll mm-hmm. be my second coming. Yeah. And that's when justice will be which is too bad because that guy did a lot of cool stuff that was cooler than you know i don't know i i I guess if he came back that'd be like pretty notable it would Um, be notable for sure (laughs) there'd be some tweets about it yeah you know he was a pretty i think the way he lived was a lot more inspiring to me than this like magic show stuff people talk about i agree yeah yeah i agree i think it's a shame that that you would read the words of jesus or follow the life of jesus and that the most salient thing that you would come away with was that he was going to come back in some indeterminate amount of time and kill a bunch of people or that he threw good parties you know (laughs) with cool tricks yeah you know as opposed to like all of his preaching about being a a tolerant charitable spiritually awake person word up Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, consider the lily, people. Consider the lily. So we've kind of covered the history of this. And like I said, we're just in no way going to be able to do this justice. Uh, I mean, you could just spend a lifetime studying this. That was a good swipe, though, man. I'm impressed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of the lay of the land. Mm -hmm. But what I really want to focus on in our discussion is how this has continued on into the modern era and what some modern examples of apocalyptic thinking are. And also just to encourage you listening to consider the ways in which you are prone to apocalyptic thinking yourself. Mm. Mm -hmm. And to just stop and examine where does that come from? How much basis in reality is there? How many of the apocalypses that have been foreseen and predicted have actually come to pass? Mm -hmm. 
that's that's really what I want to get into mm-hmm. here. Yeah, let's do it. That's that's kind of what I'm more primed for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. So speaking of millennialism, uh, there have sure been a heck of a lot of of apocalyptic predictions around the turn of the year 2000. Right. Right. Yeah. And this kind of looms large in the mind. The turning of a millennium is a big time. By any calendar, it's a big time. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, there was actually when the year 1000 CE came around. Mm. There was also a similar kind of, oh my God, it's the turn of the millennium. Maybe yep. the world will end. Right? Yeah. I mean, it seemed like a more prime time, right? Like yeah. a perfect 1000 years. Exactly. more significant than it's a 2000. Nice, nice round number. Yeah. Yeah, 2000 is like um, Millennium 2, yeah. End of the World Returns. Right, we're right? the shitty sequel. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that our millennial disasters delivered on that promise of being kind of overblown and hackneyed and mm-hmm. not actually that disastrous at all. Right. So let's talk about the Y2K computer, <laughs> alleged computer crisis, right? right? Because that was something that people were really talking about. And in fact, I remember... Uh, living in London at the time. Mm -hmm. And we actually did stock up on some supplies in anticipation of a potential problem. Uh Mm -hmm. So we we took, you know, concrete measures. Wow, your family did. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because you were how old? Probably like 14 or something? More like, yeah, actually, yeah. 14, Uh exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, you look at it, it was just not disastrous. Yeah. Me Me and my friends threw a dance party and listened to The Prodigy. Oh, there you go. It was great. And then the world didn't end. We were kind of bummed out. Yeah, too bad, right? Yep. (laughs) And it's funny how people, I think a lot of people are kind of hungry for it. Yeah. You know? I think that's it right there. I think the root of all this is boredom and ego. (laughs) 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 Or both. Either or. Could be two, you know? Yeah. But mostly I think it's, um, you know... People wanting, I was just talking to my older brother earlier about this and he's Mm. like, well, look, man, like most people work a nine to five job and they're underappreciated and they show up for work and like their, their life is just kind of mundane. Right. And so the idea of there being some kind of end of the world event or apocalypse or zombie takeover, is rather exciting, yeah. right? To think that you might wake up tomorrow and suddenly your actions would become a lot more meaningful because they would determine your survival, mm-hmm. which isn't the way most of our decisions feel like currently, right? In a comfortable, you know, for most like comfortable Americans, you know, um, it's, you know, some people aren't in that boat, but I think a lot of us are getting bored, you know? It's like, yeah, yeah all right. Um, like when is my, when am I going to do something that matters or what, you know, which I think is why maybe I'm a little bit of a thrill seeker is like, mm-hmm. I want to go put myself in an environment where I feel like really engaged, like climbing and stuff like that kind of, yeah. or even gaming, you know, yeah, like violent video games are kind of life and death and kind of like puts me on the edge of my seat in that way. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that was his he was he was just saying people kind of like to think about it because it does make there's this kind of it makes you important again um, yeah and makes your actions important and um i won't deny that i've i think i thrive and i think a lot of people thrive in moments of crisis and 
you can kind of step up to the plate. Whereas waking up at eight o'clock to show up to work at nine and just kind of do the same thing you've been doing for the last three, five, 10 years is like, can't someone like ask me to do something different or or something more important? You know, can I like, I want to be in a situation where I can like save lives and help people. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting because I think, yeah, a lot of people want, they want to be chosen for the role, right? Mm -hmm. But they don't necessarily actually want to be a firefighter or a first responder or something like that, you know? And so I think it, it, it speaks to this latent, there's this kind of wistful, latent fantasy Mm -hmm. of yeah being selected to be a hero right which incidentally uh, there's a lot of fiction out there that really plays upon that concept right Mm -hmm. you have like the accidental hero Mm -hmm. or even in some cases the uh, what's the term the reluctant hero Mm -hmm. right like you know you've got your harry potters of the world and people who are kind of they live during desperate times in which they're suddenly selected to step mm. up to the plate and, mm-hmm. and do the heroic thing. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think, yeah, it's, it's, you're right. It's this combination of wistful fantasy and, and, and it also is, you know, people who perhaps aren't actually actively involved in doing dramatic things right. in their day-to-day lives yeah. anyway. Yeah. Right. My brother is also a firearms enthusiast and it mingles in, I don't know if mingles is the right word, but isn't, you know, kind of sees different circles of different types of preppers and whatnot Mm. on the internet. And he was saying, mostly people are very willing to like buy a lot of things in order to prepare for like an apocalypse scenario um, where they'll buy a lot of like food and a lot of guns and a lot of ammo and a lot of magazines, things like that. Survival gear, expensive survival gear. I just saw, there's this YouTube video that's been suggested to me lately. It's like, we tested a $600 survival tool. It's just like a single tool, like a handheld like axe that has like a Swiss army knife attached to it or something. And <laughs> so like, there's a huge, he was saying most people are really into buying stuff around it, but they don't actually dedicate time to skilling up right. and training, right? In terms of first aid and preparedness or even firearms training in that circle. And so it's just kind of another face of American consumerism or another facet of that. Yeah. Right. At the end of the day, it's just a, another iteration of making people afraid so that you can get them to do what you want them yeah. to do. Yeah. Right. Which in this case is buy my shit. Yeah. It's, it's really, I think it's just interesting to stop and evaluate how many of your decisions you're making based on stuff like that, mm-hmm. right? How motivated you are. And it is true that it's it's really easy to... F- I think one of the things that people are selling there is convenience, right? Like you don't need to spend months training. You don't need to go camping in the woods and and hmm. you know try to learn how to light fires and you just have to have shit. this thing you just buy the you stuff right low limited time price yeah for a limited of... <laughs> time only right and then you know you'll figure it out when the time comes yeah. right you'll you'll get it together mm-hmm. it's just it's interesting how this manifests in various different ways like for example there's this back to the land movement that has been really popular in the U.S. Yep. in recent times. Mm-hmm. And there's this almost kind of this corresponding 
um, American, new American romanticism, hmm. right? Are you talking like 60s, 1960s to current, or are you talking more recent? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, the 60s was definitely an advent mm-hmm. of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There has been a modern, uh, I would argue, millennial interpretation hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. There's this particular, like... Um, It's basically the intersection of farming and Instagram, right? (laughs) (laughs) This thing going on. So you've got you've got kids playing banjos. You know, you've got you've got people thrift shopping for like farmy looking shit, right? Right. You've got this revival of various frontier styles, Mm -hmm. curly mustaches, and. You know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. You know, chopping wood is sexier again. It's a big part of like the hipster ethos, I would say. It not, is. Not all of it. It's like a subset, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This def- yeah. And, and it's also funny how it, it mixes in some amount of uh, like modern hippie naturalism as well. Yep. You know, so you've got this weird intersection of like kind of ruralism Mm-hmm. and modernism uh hippie spirituality mm-hmm. fashion it's it really is yeah. just a, a heady mix right you know right. and i think you can look at something like um you know like people are really into canning people are getting into canning again mm-hmm. right um which is a cool thing to do yeah 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 it's, it's a cool thing to do but it's also a fad yeah, but it is, there's a trendy element to it. But mm-hmm. I mean, and you and I are talking from Eugene to, but I think it probably is kind of a like alternative popular thing to do mm-hmm. around the country, mm-hmm. um, which is canning is a cool thing because it is a skill and it is mm-hmm. useful and it probably does save people money, even if there are no end times near. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there are, that's a good skill to have. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And I'm definitely not arguing against canning. I just think that it's, it's interesting. Can it. But um, it's interesting to me how you have these these millennial kids who are like playing Fortnite and canning. Right? Oh, I hope that's happening. <laughs> <laughs> canning just, and Fortnite party. I just think that's that's like an <laughs> this kind of future future retro thing going on. I don't on. know if like younger millennials are canning food yeah maybe not yeah maybe i don't not. know i don't know a lot of younger millennials but right you know there are worse things you could put on instagram if you take the right shot so anyway this notion of the end of the world is kind of woven throughout like we need to be prepared for it. So the Y2K thing was maybe one of the most underwhelming modern apocalypses. Mm-hmm. And, and basically, for anyone who isn't really aware of why this was worried to be a disaster, it's because there was this idea that programmers in the 20th century hadn't formatted their dates properly in their code. Mm. And hadn't accounted for the fact that uh, basically had designed their systems to only work in one century. Fucking programmers. I know, man. Just not short-minded, ignorant, Mm -hmm. lazy people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There was this idea that they were, that people, there was this worry that people wouldn't have accounted for that. And that you would, as soon as the 
clock struck midnight. We would time travel back to 1900. Ex- yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like <laughs> the, the computers would. The DeLorean would. It's just kind of like, I, I actually don't really understand like the rationale behind this bug, to be honest. Yeah. It's like most computer systems rely on the storage and retrieval of data. And so you have a bunch of medical records for John from 1974 up to 1999. And then next time he sees his doctor on January 1st of 2000 and they enter a record, let's just say it's a two year year, right? Like they, they're storing their date instead of having a four digit year, it's just two. So you're going to be set back to zero, zero, zero. And like, you're still going to have a data entry. Someone's going to have to go in and change a database schema to make it a four-year entry and convert all the dates to be the the correct year instead of 1900. I just don't yeah. like understand what, like what what could have happened, right? Mm-hmm. In that sense, unless it was maybe maybe there's like systems. Okay, maybe there's systems that say if the time is after such and such, exactly. then then turn on this generator and these conditions. And then maybe once once it hits 1900, then everything's kind of, you, you don't know exactly what the result of that's going to be. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That, that was the basic yeah. idea, right? People mm-hmm. were just worried. Yeah, they were worried that emergency systems might not fire properly. They were worried that various kinds of records would get scrambled. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that some of the most grandiose predictions were like airplanes dropping out of the sky and, mm-hmm. and or, you know maybe even like um weapons technology self-firing or you know you know what i mean it's just i to be <laughs> honest i think there was a fair amount of technophobia it was just a manifestation of modern technophobia like these computers are so sophisticated mm-hmm. and we just don't really know what they could do. And mm-hmm. I, I think that that was feeding into a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, the media was just not helping. Well, I think, yeah. I think I this mean, is... A- <laughs> what you, it depends on what you mean by helping. I mean, um, because really, it's like people were getting their apocalypse fix from like zombie movies mm-hmm. from the 80s still at that point. Because yeah. there wasn't this new, you know... Um, great wave of wonderful zombie movies and shows to watch and so they did us a great favor by inflating and spreading the fears of y2k my brother had this great shirt that was said y2k are you ready but he wore it in like 2010 yeah ironically (laughs) exactly exactly but no i mean it's i think they did us a great service there (laughs) this is this is the new cycle you know this is if it's just like if we were I'm starting to think if we were just too, like, I've been really into having a very accurate worldview. And the more I do it, the more I'm like, I'm bored. Screw this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rationalism isn't sexy. Yeah. That's, that's one thing it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, being being the technically guy isn't really mm-hmm. where most people want to be. No, it's like once you start talking, like, realism and, like, what's likely to happen and like i have a rather like positive outlook on the world which is also kind of boring you know yeah <laughs> it's true doesn't make you f- i think i gotta change my style yeah 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 antagonism is the way eschatology eschatology all right this is my yeah. new thing gotta work on your yeah you're an you're an aspiring eschatologist mm-hmm 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 so let's talk about the, this whole modern uh new age 
thinking thing really hooked on to the Mayan calendar. So let's talk about the 2012 mm, Mayan calendar. Okay. This was, uh, I mean, again, this was everywhere, right? Yeah. People were all about how, well, it was December, what was it? December 20, 21st, 21st, 2012. Yeah. The Mayan calendar. Which is ends. nice numbers, really. It, it was cool. Yeah, yeah, the Mayans really had a way with numbers. 12, 21, 2012. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful numbers. That's mm-hmm. what a mathematician would call a beautiful number right mm-hmm. there. So, so the Mayan calendar ends. And this led many to speculate that the Mayans knew something that we didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Like, did, did the Mayan calendar, in fact, end? Or did it... Was there... I looked into it back then, so this mm-hmm. is older memory now. But mm-hmm. I remember... They basically had wheels of time, mm. right? And maybe the wheel had like four m- major quadrants. Yeah. And that was the end of one of the quadrants. And then you like enter the next age at that point. Right? Yeah, I, th- I agree. I think there was a lot of almost willful misapprehension about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, again, because it's just less interesting mm-hmm. to imagine that the world isn't going to end. Yeah. I mean, if some white dude says the world's going to end, it's like, eh. But if like an ancient civilization says it, it's like... Yeah. Suddenly, you know, we we have great respect. Yeah. You know, for the Mayan people who, you know, c- the white people didn't have so much respect for <laughs> back when we arrived. And so, yeah. I don't it just feels awful convenient, you know. It sure is. Yeah. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's exoticism going on there. Mhm. I'm going to appropriate this particular part of your worldview. <laughs> exactly. You know, which, frankly, the New Age is very good at doing. Yeah. Right? They're excellent at kind of cherry-picking these salient ideas mm-hmm. from largely underprivileged, downtrodden, and invaded people mm-hmm. from the world's history, right? Yeah. So, you know, a great movie came out of it. I never watched it, but the movie 2012. You know, oh, I never like, watched it either. It just another apocalyptic movie how how can we call ourselves podcast hosts when <laughs> neither of us have watched such important source material i, I don't know about all this <laughs> i watched the day after tomorrow and armageddon oh yeah it's and armageddon. even deep impact which came out around the same time yeah mm-hmm. quality stuff i'm well researched note that in all of those cases the world did not end but it was so Maybe a distinction I wanted to make earlier would have been there's like various ways to define world ending stuff. Yeah. You kind of went into like the biblical revelation bit, which I yeah. still don't think I fully understand. But <laughs> nonetheless, there's like the first level would be cataclysm, where it's a shift and it's a huge like impact slash change in our way of life. End of the world as we know it, so to speak. Right. Right. And then next after that would be human extinction. So not just a bunch of people die, but everyone dies. And then after that would be the destruction of the planet, I think is kind of like the ultimate one. Well, actually, no, it's not. It's not. No, because astrophysicists have been talking about the end of the universe. Oh, there, okay. There's that too. Right. Yeah. So okay. that, that's probably about as mad as Level it gets. four. <laughs> exactly. Level four eschatology. <laughs> A level four eschatological event. <laughs> well, and I think this, this brings me to one of my thoughts about the whole thing, which is that I think that people are almost as fixated on... Uh, however destruction myths as they are on creation myths right Mm. so 
Once you have attempted to answer the question of where have we come from, mm-hmm. one of the next questions you're going to have to answer is where are we going to end up, right? Mm-hmm. So because we tend to think of time and existence in a linear way, mm-hmm. what has a beginning must have an end. Mm-hmm. And so there's this hunger in the, in the human mind to figure that out. Right. And just as the promise of an afterlife is one of the balms to soothe the existential question of existence, life, and death, I think that this plays out in many different fields where people are also trying to answer this question of what is eventually going to happen. Mm-hmm. Humans just hunger for that. They want to know, right? They want to have assurances. They want to know what to plan for. Yeah. And frankly, they just want to know how things work. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's part of my theory on this whole thing is that just as people want to get some kind of uh, answer or assurance around their own death, they also want to have some sense of knowing what's going to happen on a more cosmic level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just I find that interesting how it's heat death, Johnny. Heat death. Heat death. Exactly. In my mind, heat death is is about as uh, what's the word superstitious. Mm, really? Yeah. Oh, as, right. as any of these other ideas. Tell me about that. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that different, same impulse, different cosmology. Okay. Is my take on it. Okay. And so, in the same way that you could call a Big Bang a creation myth, you yeah. can call heat death. Why, why don't you explain to us briefly oh, no. what heat death is? I didn't is. study heat death before this. <laughs> um, the very basics is the universe is expanding. Yeah. And it's not expanding at a constant rate, but it's accelerating in its expansion. Okay. And so it's like capitalism. It, yeah. And that um, basically things will get spread apart far enough that there's no longer really meaningful interactions between things. And without that kind of inter, basically things just become like cold, distant stars that die off. Got it. On their own. And this happens over a very, 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 very long period of time, like much longer than the universe has, has existed so far. Mm-hmm. And that's the general idea. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's just like, well, we're observing that the universe is ex- expanding and everything's getting farther and farther away from everything else. And like, if that's all you know about it, here's like the natural conclusion of that. Yeah, which could happen, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about some of these other ideas. So yeah, so so that was yeah, heat death or what they call the big freeze. Yeah. Are we going to move past 20, 2012? Well, I don't know. Do you have anything more to say about twenty twelve? Well. I'd- no, I could maybe wait. There's a, I have a tie-in. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, well, let's just discuss. Yeah. So there's a thing that people call the big crunch, which is basically the mass density of the universe could be enough to stop its expansion and begin contracting. So it's the idea that um, the Big Bang exploded a bunch of stuff, but then the gravitational kind of the fact that there's so much mass is eventually going to pull everything back in. So it's just the reverse of the Big Bang. All right. which you know could happen sure right yeah uh there's another one that's called the false vacuum which i don't really understand um but it has to do with electromagnetism my vacuum at home 
not very good. So yeah, say that. <laughs> it's not. It's not a real vacuum. Squarely in this category. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah. So, yeah, anyway, basically, you know, ask your friendly neighborhood astrophysicist about how the universe is going to end and then prepare yourself. Okay. Okay. Wait, I'm sorry. What's false vacuum again? I was too busy making I I don't really understand it. Well, it's out there, people. Yeah. Be careful. The the vacuum is false. Stay vigilant. The end. I didn't study that one. So so let's get back to 2012. Okay. So I had to think of something to get me, like to make apocalypse seem like a relevant idea to me because I just don't really see it happening. Um, but there was something that crossed my mind that suddenly made it much more relevant and much more timely, which is the mass extinction of other species on the planet. Mm, okay. So if you were a non-human critter today, you might have a very different view about uh, what's happening to the planet mm. and and to your prospects on it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I started doing some research on species that were on the brink of extinction. Mm-hmm. And we're in the middle of a, an, an extinction event currently that's been happening since civilization basically started to really take off right Mm -hmm. so we lost like the woolly mammoth and a bunch of cool siberian not siberian tigers but the uh saber-toothed ones got it you know a bunch of uh, megafauna they're called large mammals yeah started to go extinct because humans started to multiply and become much better at hunting with the development of technology and it didn't stop there because technology has of course uh, multiplied our numbers even more to the point where the main threat now is um, habitat destruction. I was just going to say, I'm sure farming and, yeah. and kind of like the... Uh... And hunting hunting has continued to be a threat and continued to decimate certain species, but mm-hmm. a, a lot of it is also habitat destruction. Um, right, right. So in the case of the critter I wanted to talk about, it's called the Pinta Island tortoise. Hmm. And it, the, the Pinta Island is one of the Galapagos Islands. And there is this really famous turtle or tortoise called Lonesome George, Hmm. who was born in 1910, I believe, and survived up until uh, 2012. So 2012 was perhaps the end of an era for this particular species. You know, it was the end of times. Hmm. And there's just some interesting things that, this whole scenario brings to mind for me. And maybe one of them is that it's ironic to me that as humans, as the driver of cataclysm for so many other species, that we are so like haunted and preoccupied with end times, even though the cause of the destruction of these species is actually our success and our booming and our mm. increase in numbers and not mm. the destruction. Yeah. And it's funny that we're haunted by the apocalypse or or by a sort of um, our own downfall or destruction of our own times. And I think it there's a couple of things I've thought about that can kind of connect the two. One of them is guilt. Mm. <laughs> sure. That there's this sort of like moral judgment that people fear in the face of human success and the cost that our success has come at, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. 
there's this sort of like universal justice at play in people's minds that like we have mm. it coming. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that self. nature's going to like strike back or mm-hmm. and self. I, yeah. I think there's even an aspect of self-loathing in there, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It's like, I deserve this. Which really it's like when I, you know, most, most people have thought about this and have decided either to kind of, you know, people can, a lot of people feel guilty being human Um, and especially being American humans where like we, if you look at our footprint on the world, it's quite large in terms of our resources, but that's, Mm. there's nothing special about Americans in that way. It's just that we happen to have a high standard of living and high standards of living are very resource intensive. And so, you know, there's not a nation on the planet that's immune to that um, or people. It's just that as, as people's, means increase so will their impact and so and you know americans are particularly wasteful i would say but i wouldn't say it's because of like the moral fabric of american people i would say it's because of the what we have access to right yeah i mean it's perhaps a chicken and the egg argument yeah but you know point point taken that although americans like no i wouldn't like chinese people aren't like I wouldn't say in mass deciding, you know what, we're not going to eat pork because of its environmental impact. And we're not going to burn coal because it's bad for the planet. Like that's just not happening. You know, Um, people want to have electricity on, they want to power energy hungry electronics. They want to eat meat currently. That's the way things are. And so you're right. It's, it comes down to access a lot. I think it does. Yeah. 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 Um, so, you know, there's this kind of like guilt feeling that we have it coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, maybe we do, but the real apocalypse is happening for thousands of other species around the planet at the moment. And yeah. that's well documented. And I don't know. I don't know what to do about that. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, no, you're to me, right. it's like, think, like write a, write a story from Lonesome George's perspective, the last known living tortoise. There's actually evidence that there might be some more alive because uh, they found baby turtles that have the same genetics mm, on some okay. islands. So that means there should be an adult somewhere. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I, I appreciate that you brought that perspective up, right? Because yeah. we're not just the only people on this planet. And there's an official name for this, which I don't remember, but it's kind of like the web of life, right? The interdependence of species Mm -hmm. is a big thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think it makes sense that as we're witnessing the raw destruction of so much of the natural environment and ecosystem, loss of so much animal and plant life, Mm -hmm. um, it is natural to assume that we're next at some point, right? Yeah. Because we're just like chopping, we're chopping the legs off, or we're cutting the roots Mm. out of the tree Mm -hmm. of life, right? But still, I don't know. I guess it's like a very like ego, ego based way of looking at it. Still, right? Whereas, like, I would ask people to kind of like think outside of that, and this doesn't have to be about you. Like, (laughs) yeah, that's true. That's true. Really, I don't know. There's just it's it's hard though. I, I kind of want I want there to be more ways for us to engage with and and stay connected to other species, right? Yeah. And I think current modern day media has a lot of potential to do that. And maybe I'm I should maybe tune into that more. There's probably a lot of great content out there, but mm-hmm. 
kind of want to, I want to, I feel a desire to be more connected to it and yeah. more in tune. Yeah. Um, and to kind of, you know, just have my finger on that pulse and contribute in some way to conserve. Um, yeah. so, you know, if you take anything away from the show, maybe think about how you can contribute to conservation efforts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's real, especially since there are some of us on the planet who have not yet been measurably affected by climate change. Mm-hmm. But I think when you are exposed to the effects, mm-hmm. right, whether it's another animal or whether it is people across the world, you know, like Australia is on fire right now. And um, I think once you make a more visceral connection to it, right, the enormity of it starts to yeah. become apparent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we were doing interviews down in Australia right now, people would probably have very different thoughts on end times than they did a year ago. Exactly. Exactly. And so let's talk about this because I think a lot of people would make a distinction. They'd be like, okay, well, all of this other end of days stuff is just superstitious bullshit, right? However, we are currently existing in an era where the end of days or some kind of massive upheaval seems very likely, Mm -hmm. right? So how do you pass that? Like, how much of that do you think is is irrational, egocentric transposition of current events on top of apocalyptic thinking? I don't, I, yeah. Like, I, versus I how much of it's just a rational assessment of what's likely to happen? I actually don't think there's anything irrational or egocentric about saying that the world's in a great time of transition, because I think it is. It actually. is, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. Um, I think that imagining like a zombie apocalypse where you're going to have to have like dual wielding assault rifles to get through it is probably a little (laughs) egocentric. (laughs) Oh, how about this? Because, (laughs) okay. So one of the, one of the big strains that runs throughout apocalyptic thinking is the idea that the shit's going to go down in my lifetime and I have to be prepared. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, so you see a lot of the like survivalists, like you're saying, who are stocking up on supplies, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I think on the one hand, like if that's where you want to spend your time, money and focus, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Right. But I do wonder about like, like I'm still contributing to my retirement fund. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yes. Right. And it's like, I'm not banking on the fact that this stuff is going to happen in my lifetime. Right. And I would encourage other people to do the same, right? Because, and, and the reason I say this is because we've just had so many other examples. It's, it's almost like, let's say you lived in medieval Europe during the plagues, right? And yeah. you just think this is going to kill everyone. I'm going to stop, you know, farming or I'm yeah. going to stop my trade or I'm yeah. going to stop whatever, right? And it killed a lot of people. A lot mm. of estimates say about a third of people, right. which is a lot of people to yep. die, right? It's huge. But um, but but life went on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, more recently, we've seen things like uh, like mutually assured destruction is, is something that I think mm-hmm. has been a lot of people's minds, nuclear holocaust. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a lot of people living during the Cold War who at some time or another thought, this, you know, this powder keg has to blow. Right. This is going to happen. We're fucked, yeah. right? Or closer to home, my parents were quite radical and quite revolutionary politically. 
And they predicted the collapse of capitalism, which okay. I think yeah. a lot of, of kind of leftist radicals talk about yeah. and fantasize about. Yeah. And my parents really believed mm-hmm. and they lived their lives in a way that was congruent with a, a strong belief in that. Right. And, you know, fast forward to today, my dad's 70 years old, maybe 71. Anyway, the capitalism has not collapsed. Right. Right. And now he's retired. And good thing that he at some point started putting money into an IRA. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because if he hadn't, Mm -hmm. he'd be fucked. Yeah. And so uh, this is something that I think about where I think about the fact that you can observe changing times and anticipate disasters that might happen Mm -hmm. and they have you know world war has happened Mm -hmm. right um famine has happened Mm -hmm. mass disease has happened all these things have happened before and so i think that you can anticipate these things while still participating in your life Mm -hmm. and under the assumption that you know what it could just as easily not come to pass yeah and i think if you examine if you go down the list of predicted disasters and examine how many of them actually happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think statistics are on the side of it not happening. Yeah. You <laughs> yeah. Know? It's good to be prepared. Yeah. You know, keep prepping. Right. Um, and, you know, scaling up and getting ready for mm-hmm. whatever. I, I kind of like that idea. It is exciting. It might, you know, things are probably going to be fine, but it's good mm-hmm. to have the skills regardless. And mm-hmm. then at the same time, you know, definitely be prepared for the world to be just fine and for you to have to have savings by the time you hit. 65 or whatever it is is there anything else that you wanted to say about climate change and the disasters therein because i just i think that that is really that's our modern apocalypse Mm -hmm. i i think so too it probably will mostly express as it is in Australia now with disasters, right? Yeah. Uh, Weather-related disasters, fire, things like that. And also famine, right? As food systems um, will shift as weather can no longer support crop production in certain areas. And it sounds like it'll disproportionately affect developing countries. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, if anything, it's like, what think ahead about that Mm -hmm. um, in terms of, you know, institutions have to be thinking ahead about how they're going to mitigate that sort of damage, right? Um, and maybe think about skills you might want to develop that you might want to contribute to that sort of problem, to, to helping resolve that sort of problem and, and mitigate it. You know, because that's probably the best we're going to be able to do. Like this ship, as I said in the last show, <laughs> unless we can, even if we switch to nuclear energy instead of coal, we're still, there's still going to be a lot of consequences to, to suffer, right? Yeah. And so, it's kind of like at this point, you know, do as much as we can to to write the ship's direction and then be prepared to mitigate the consequences of what we've done so far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's wise. As we close out here, one of the things that's on my mind is just that change is assured, but the direction is, is not assured. Mm-hmm. And so as time goes on and I get older and the world changes around me, I just try to maintain a plasticity in my mind about what could happen. Mm -hmm. 
and I try to keep my thoughts focused on um, it just, uh, you know, just being realistic. I'm really trying to catch myself whenever I start to fantasize about things because I'm, it's just so easy to fantasize mm -hmm. about disaster, about various aspects of my life taking a bad turn. And I really think, I think a lot of that stuff is ultimately ego reinforcing and mm. it, a lot of it doesn't actually help very much. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is just a, a channel for thoughts, habits, tendencies that really like spinning around. Yep. It's like those hamsters just want to be running in the wheel. Yeah. And so I'm really trying to, it's one of the ways that I'm trying to exercise mindfulness is to be like, hmm. And not necessarily even how rational is that, but just like, how does it serve me that, that that's going on in my mind? Yep. And how likely is that to really end up being the, the place that I need to put my attention right now? Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that I would just encourage everyone to do is to just watch your thoughts around this stuff and try to make an ongoing assessment about how important it is to, to be spending your time on it. Mm -hmm. And like you said, you know, if you love farming, if you really love like canning and back to the land stuff and, or, you know, if you enjoy, um, you know, burying supplies and learning how to shoot your guns and all that stuff, then great. You know, mm -hmm. you're, you're having fun and you're mm -hmm. enjoying it. Yeah, but I, I just, you know, I, yeah. I think it's like um, if you if your identity is congealing around a world in which people are relying on your farming, mm -hmm. you just have to be prepared for the idea that that may never come to pass. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. No, I know. Like I know some people who are into primitive skills training, and it's cool because it's it is a cool set of skills, regardless of whether or not mm -hmm. technology totally collapses. Um, but maybe some other relevant skills is like how do you make use of materials in a landfill <laughs> yeah instead of primitive skills it's like this weird apocalyptic like scavenger <laughs> like that's what i think of when i think of like yeah. apocalypse is like you better be better at collecting and using cans in your neighbor you know like <laughs> so to speak yeah yeah but yeah. anyway it's time to start watching mad max robin yeah <laughs> <laughs> No modern education is complete without it. Hey guys, Robin here. So me and Arjuna pour a lot of time and resources into making this a super great show and make it as informative and well-produced as we can with our modest little setup. And... We are starting a Patreon account that basically can allow you to support what we're doing here. So the way that it works is Patreon is a website where you can start a user account and you can basically subscribe to be a donor to our show on a monthly basis. And we did this for our last podcast and it worked really well as a way for listeners to support our show and to further its development. Um, and so what, what we did, we created the Patreon and, and listeners would sign up and contribute anywhere from $1 a month to $10, $25, $50 a month, whatever they were wanting to contribute. 
And the way that we use these monies is basically to buy equipment to improve our, our recording setup, to do sound dampening in the room so that we have a better recording quality, and also to pay for the hosting of the podcast. Um, and so the kind of the more resources we have, the more polished a product we can make. And we have a lot of pipe dreams, you know, of like hiring editors and things like that to kind of give us a yeah. little more time to do research and, and not as much in the editing and post-production side. But, um, yeah. so support is super appreciated. And did you have anything to add or Juna? Yeah. I just wanted to say we, yeah, uh, with our previous show, we were basically able to break even, um, we raised enough money over the course of doing it that we were able to pay for all of our web hosting costs. We were able to buy the nice microphones that we have now, um, the, the preamps and all the different equipment that goes into it. Even just things like um, a mic stand, right? Mm -hmm. Costs money. And so it was really cool that we were able to get as far as we did funded by our listeners mm -hmm. and so you know it's really um the idea of turning a profit on anything like this is like robin said like a pipe dream it's a long ways away mm -hmm. and pretty much all of the money that we receive from this stuff would get directly reinvested back into the show mm -hmm. to yeah just help it make it better in all of the ways that we believe that it could be better right so, um, yeah, just, just wanted to say that it, it really does make a concrete difference. And also it's just a way of, it's a way of receiving additional appreciation for the work that you do. You know, when somebody mm -hmm. is paying you any amount of money, yep. it's like a strong vote of confidence. It's, that a, it's a signal to us that we should keep doing what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. And it motivates us, yep. you know, it motivates us to show up. Uh, motivates us to do a good job um and you know we're, we're both people who make our livings via our various employments that are not podcast related mm -hmm. and so in order to really prioritize the time to do it it's really nice to have some kind of a financial reward to yep. look forward to even Definitely. if it's even if it's just ensuring that we don't drain our own money exactly in the making of we're it. probably behind budget at the moment because oh, we're on this show we're yeah. recording our 12th show now <laughs> and we haven't asked for any donations yet so. <laughs> exactly so you know this is the nice thing about patreon is that's entirely voluntary you can keep listening to this show for free with no hard feelings yep, and totally. we, we love bringing it to you yep. we really do um you know and, and any kind of support is welcome as well even if it's just leaving us a review on itunes or just uh, following us on our social media accounts, mm -hmm. giving us a like, mm -hmm. um, even just sending us a quick comment saying, hey, love the show. Good job. Yeah. You know, that stuff really helps. Right. It really makes a difference, you know, because sometimes when you're putting together content, it can feel a little bit like shouting into the void. Yeah. And so having that interaction um, is just really motivating. Right. Now, there are tiers of donations you can set up on patreon and if you sign up for a higher tier say twenty dollars a month then we could set up a reward for people that do that and so we were thinking it'd be nice if we started making some t-shirts and because we yeah. have a nice logo yeah and sweet logo. it'd be fun to throw that on a t-shirt and mm -hmm. so if you do donate twenty dollars 
we would be happy to send you one of those. And we'll probably start making those t-shirts once we get those kinds of donors. <laughs> yeah. We don't even have any yet, but yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that we were talking about is we, we really like, uh, community supported and run podcasts and our previous podcast actually is a really good example of that it was mm-hmm. a, we, we had a lot of our community members on the show. We, focused a lot of our shows around the involvement from our community mm-hmm. and so we've been considering some patreon tiers that would incorporate more stuff like that mm-hmm. um, an opportunity for people to maybe make a guest appearance on the show have an interview perhaps uh select topics stuff like that yep and, so, and to work with us or collaborate with us on topics yeah yeah yep. exactly so you know we haven't codified all that stuff yet but for example if you had an idea like ooh, I would really love to have this kind of involvement with the show. And, and you know, uh, maybe we could work out a Patreon tier that would sound commensurate for that. So mm-hmm. anyway, it's definitely, um, it's on us to kind of get that together and we're still figuring it out. Uh, we'll, but we'll, stay tuned. Yeah, we'll yeah. give you updates. Cool. And yeah, and kind we appreciate a- anything makes a difference. You know, even a dollar a month really does make yep. a difference. It does. It's a vote. Yep. It's a vote to keep doing the show. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it's like if if everyone who listened to this paid a dollar a month, we would be we'd have a great budget so much <laughs> further towards our goals. Yeah. Right. So yeah. anyway, so, hire yeah. an editor. Woo! <laughs> be amazing. Um, so, yeah. But anyway, thank you for listening. And we appreciate anything that you're able to do for us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Listening Glass. If you've enjoyed this show, we'd love it if you'd share it with your friends and on social media. Your word of mouth means a lot to us and is a way you can help our humble podcast grow. Find us on our Twitter handle at Listening Glass. You can leave feedback there or by emailing us at listeningglasscast at gmail.com. Join the ongoing discussion in our community by joining our Discord server, linked in our episode description. This episode features the track This in Sitta by Mac Woodruff, the track Dr. Beauchef, Penguin Dentist by Kneebody, and also the track Lipton Service Boy by Eero Johannes. We're incredibly grateful to these artists for letting us feature their work. Find more information about them in the episode description.